Good evening, and welcome to a bored and impromptu edition of its 1985 Good Morning. I'm your host, the apartment-bound Corey Fry, thanks to our friends at Taco Bell and whatever gastro-glop they're slapping on their cheese these days. But, believe you me, while snarfing on those flower-wrapped stormbringers, I was thinking deep. And for some reason, my mind turned to social media and the internet, as often it does, considering how prominent they've been in my life these last... 20, 30 years. Um, <clears throat> in about 2008, 2009, I wrote an essay called The Internet's a Mess. It's in its kiss, which most of you hayseeds will recognize as a lift from The World's a Mess. It's in my kiss by the band X, which itself is a crib from Betty Everett's The Shoop Shoop Song, also known as It's in His Kiss. A lot of kisses going around. But anyway, I wrote my piece during the height of the era of self-appointed web gurus and information wants to be free. And that was a crib, too, of course, from uh, writer Stuart Brand in 1984. But what he actually said in full was, On the one hand, information wants to be expensive because it's so valuable. The right information in the right place and time just changes your life. On the other hand, information wants to be free because the cost of getting it, getting it out is getting lower and lower all the time. So you have these two fighting against each other. So what was meant to illustrate an age-old conflict between stubborn forces was deceptively cut and pasted into a definitive battle cry. <sighs> this was also a time of the deliciously contrarian Paul Carr before his two sticks to his new imperial tech-crunch overlords and Nicholas Carr's provocative Atlantic essay is Google making us stupid. Um, there was also the once-hate-readable Jeff Jarvis, love you Jeff, no offense, but his vituperous defenses of Web 2.0 at the expense of veteran journalists' livelihoods. Um, you had the marketing sector's shameless SEO groveling, and all the internal battles over self-serving futures. This is the future, everybody proclaimed and they all hoped to profit from whichever direction they could prod it in. Visit this site. Try this app. <clears throat> Funny thing about the future, though. The future does whatever the hell it wants. But it was all fun. And I sometimes miss that pseudo-gonzo Silicon Valley swagger. Down with gatekeepers. Catapult over paywalls. Wisdom of the crowd. Audience is the master. To create is to be subservient. Give them all blowjobs. Adopt my jargon. Buy my TED Talk. In some ways, that reflection is enlightening. In others, it's like revisiting an ancient tribe that believed gods pushed planets across the galaxy in wheelbarrows. Back then, I resolved that my relationship with the Internet had soured to love-slash-hate with a modicum of hope because, well, that's my nature. I've been online in various forms since the 80s, when the only people you could communicate with were short-tempered computer science and engineering majors at Oregon State. Or you had to buy credits for to spend a month among people named Bratty Cowgirl and Super Stud. Or you had to give your roommate half your paycheck after a six-hour chat session with some girl in Arizona on Sierra Online. <laughs> Sorry about that, John. Could you give me your new password? But when the, when the internet truly hit, I was in my early to mid-twenties and working at the local newspaper. 
I think we were finally connected to a main office email in 1996 with web access on one computer. Netscape, baby. That happened in Little Lighthouse. We also had a very primitive web page, and it existed primarily to house our copy after it went to print. You updated it once a day in the afternoon, and then you didn't touch it again for another 24 hours. My God. Ah, the internet just fascinated the shit out of me then. It, it's, you know, even then it seemed to contain everything and was hungry for even more. Like, I remember adding information to the Internet Movie Database's page for Shaft. I felt very accomplished for doing that. I built my own GeoCities page with the most basic of self-taught HTML. Visitors could find some of my short stories there and a stolen picture of Amy Weber, half-naked on a diving board. Um, as a writer, I was drawn to its endless real estate. I mean, one could write forever and ever. What a boon for journalism, I thought. To no longer no restriction. That last bit was hammered home in about 1997, when a colleague, Aaron Yost, and I went to a seminar in Salem to learn what the Internet could do for us, from being a home for video and documents to a landscape for words and sounds as far as the eye and ear dared travel. We came away energized with pages of notes and handouts, eager to tell the rest of the staff how eye-opening our day had been. But, Jesus Christ, about twelve tongue flaps into our presentation, the temperature of the room dropped so precipitously it was like we were climbing fucking Annapurna. Our main editor, God, he looked at us with utter disinterest, which is kind of funny because he's since, quote-unquote, rebranded himself as a community blogger, but back then he flashed us an expression that you typically don't see outside of a morgue. Anyway, this is all just kind of a long-winded way of telling you that I'm, although I'm not an internet expert, I've danced with this devil for a long, long time. I've been involved with startups as a writer and editor since the 1990s, back when you had to employ code to bold or italicize words or split paragraphs, which was a major pain in the ass. My feelings about it have gone from adoration and wonder to disappointment and a jaundiced sobriety. I kind of miss the exuberance of its Wild Wild West days. Of course, the web now is more or less just a series of specific pages where you briefly visit when directed by social media. Tch. Social media. Now there's a disappointment. Frankly, I fret over its effect on our ability to communicate. I worry that its demand for instantaneous gratification and response has warped our sense of decorum, rendering us impatient and often unintelligible. Emojis become stand-ins for emotive expression, leaving us longing for a tenderness we can neither articulate nor execute. Yes. It's a shame, really. What sells such promise as a venue for self-expression and even the pretense of communication? Anymore, it's just a cacophonous din of careful world-building, soapboxing for imagined audiences like this podcast, and stolen wisdom. I have friends online who probably haven't kept a word of their own in a fucking decade. It's just meme after meme after meme all day long. And what's worse is, they'll be rewarded with attention for copying and pasting. A task in which even a toddler is expert. Oh, that tiny phrase written by someone on this author. Oh, that's so you. It's been shared 24,000 times, and I've seen it in my own feed. It's posted by a six or seven of friends over the last few weeks. But oh, it's so you. God, I can go strut your fucking irreverence against duality. The least you can do is write your own material, my dick.